Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode on Across the Canal. My name is Chelsea, and I'm a student at Carleton University. I'm majoring in child studies with a minor in history in hopes to becoming a teacher one day. With us, we also have Vanessa. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, y'all. I'm Vanessa, a student at Carleton University, majoring in sociology. I'm working to become a teacher in the near future. I'm a mom of two, with one of my children currently completing her second grade virtually. So I've witnessed firsthand the struggle to transition to online learning. And that struggle will be my focus topic today. Thanks for sharing, Vanessa. We also have Shobana with us here today. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? For sure. Thank you, Chelsea. Hello, everyone. My name is Shobana, and I was born and raised in Ottawa, Canada. I am currently enrolled in my fourth year Bachelor of Arts Honors Program in Child Studies with a minor in Psychology and Disability Studies. I am grateful that I am at home with my parents, who both work from home. There are other students who are struggling during the pandemic, such as living far away from their family and having financial issues due to lockdown. Thanks for sharing, Shobana. That leads us right into today's topic. We will be focusing on virtual learning and the effect it has on students, as well as our thoughts on how the school curriculum can aid students back to in-person learning. So let's dive in. Shobana, can you explain to our listeners a quick overview on how the education system has changed in Ottawa in the last two years? For sure. So here is a timeline breakdown of how schools were shifted to online learning during the duration of the pandemic in Ottawa. Lockdown first occurred on March 16, 2020. During March break, children were home during that time and the Ontario government had to shut down schools for another two weeks. After two weeks, students had to attend online schooling until the summer holidays came. However, those who had to enroll in a new school online did not get the chance to meet their new teachers and classmates, which caused a more stressful experience for these students. After the summer holidays were over, students had the choice to attend in-person or online schooling to give more opportunities to meet their individual learning needs. Like elementary and high schools, universities and colleges, exams and classes were also shifted to online in Ottawa. Currently, there are no set reopening plans for schools. However, as the majority of people receive their vaccine doses, schools will have to implement plans to reopen safely. For Carleton University, even though they do not have a set reopening plan yet for the upcoming school year, the university could, if possible, safely reopen labs, in-person, smaller classes, and tutorials. We can observe how students' learning has changed since needing to adapt to new learning environments that they have never experienced before. Learning from home may be beneficial for some, but not for all. Let's see how each of us is experiencing our online learning settings. Chelsea, if you'd like, can you explain to the audience about your current setup with online learning and if you prefer it to an in-school setting? 
I have tried to make the best setup I can at home in order for me to succeed with online learning. I have a desk in my room and I even bought myself a new gamer chair to make sure that I'm nice and comfortable and I've been using noise canceling headphones. But even with all my efforts, it is just not the best thing for me. I am the type of person that needs to be in an in-school setting in order for me to focus. Before the pandemic, if I ever had assignments or projects, I would do them in the library at school to stay focused. When I'm at home, I find I get way too distracted and I procrastinate like crazy. Right. Thanks for sharing, Chelsea. And how about you, Vanessa? What have your experiences with online learning been like? My experiences with online learning have been extremely beneficial, especially taking away travel time. I don't have to abide by strict school and daycare drop-off and pick-up schedules. After I drop off my youngest one at daycare, I can come home and be in work mode almost immediately, while my older daughter is in her virtual classes. Teachers have been successful, in my daughter's experience, in keeping the children's attention and answering any questions that they may have. In our experience, it's a rare occasion for teachers to tell students to seek the help of their parents or guardians. So I can cook and clean in little segments of time between reading or brainstorming or working on assignments. And this makes my evening easier with the kids and the rest of my family as there's less chores to do. The downfall for me is the setup. I have to get work done wherever my kids and my husband aren't, and that changes often. And sometimes I work in weird places, like right now. I'm actually in my car to avoid recording everybody else in my home. So that is a downfall for me. Thank you, Manessa, for sharing. For me, I like online schooling since it gives me more flexibility to work on school assignments and spend time with my family. I used to take public transportation to go to school and back, and each way would take me one and a half hours So I would lose a total of three hours every time I had to attend classes. I also try to have a good setup as possible at home so that it does not distract me from other things going on in the house. I have a height adjustable desk that can be used both for sitting and standing to avoid back injuries. I also have a separate study room with the door. My parents and I try to be as far away as possible in the house when doing work online so that we do not distract one another. It is interesting to observe how the three of us have completely unique experiences on online schooling during the pandemic. Thanks for sharing team. Virtual learning is a new territory for most of us, even those who want to be teachers. Students have had a year of large transition all while navigating a pandemic world. Teaching approaches have been modified and comprehension strategies of students have changed as well. Social inequalities have been exposed through the change to online learning. Let's begin exploring how teachers in Ontario, Canada have changed their teaching approach to suit the pandemic reality of today. With education switching to online, teachers were forced to design virtual lesson plans on their own. There's a great article titled Diversity Via the Distance that has interviews with parents that discusses how virtual learning has shown some of the strengths and weaknesses that are currently in the education system today. 
For some students and parents, they received lesson plans with instructional and multiple pedagogical approaches to learning. This made virtual education more fun for students and easier on the parents. Teachers with this approach provided lesson plan layouts and office hours for parents in order to keep an open communication and had creative live lessons for students and the option to submit homework and projects in whatever form was available for the child. Unfortunately, not all teachers used these methods. In some cases, parents stated that the teacher did not provide enough information on lesson plans, making it harder for parents to help their child, which caused a lot of stress in the household. Many parents also stated that virtual education lacks a sense of collaborative learning and social environments between the students. And it also has a lack of an inclusive environments for students with special education needs. Virtual learning definitely has positive factors to it. For example, it can take away social anxieties someone might feel in a classroom. For older students, it might make commuting easier for work or any extracurricular activities. And for some, online videos is just a preferred method of learning. In interviews, a small number of families have stated that they prefer online learning and are now looking at private school or homeschool options for their child. It is important to note that these responses were typically among families with well-resourced technology, the ability for the parents to work from home, and a higher socioeconomic status. Not everyone has the ability to have that lifestyle. For many special education students, the school provides extra assistant programs for the child, but through virtual learning, many of those programs have been cut off, forcing parents to seek outside help. And even though teachers have provided open, open creativity for assignments, not all families have the means to these supplies. So after reading that article and learning about the lack of inclusive environments, it shows how inequality is being presented through virtual learning, which leads to our next question to discuss. Does virtual learning disproportionately affect students of color? Home life influences characteristics and skills of young learners, and non-Eurocentric household values and practices could be misaligned with schools' hidden curriculum of socialization and Western values. So in contrast to students living in Eurocentric homes, students from different cultural backgrounds often have a learning curve to overcome. Students whose family elders do not speak fluent English could mean students can't seek the help of their elders for guidance. Potentially, this could result in students becoming disinterested in school. And for Indigenous students specifically, this interest in schooling has been present, especially in secondary and primary school populations. According to an article by Lorenzo Cherubini titled Education in the Post-Pandemic Era, focusing on Indigenous children and post-pandemic educational approaches, Indigenous communities are disproportionately affected by issues such as higher rate of poverty, substance abuse, and health-related issues. And coupling these issues to the difficult transition to online learning complicates Indigenous students' already marginalized experiences. Kerubini predicts devastating outcomes on Indigenous learning. He explains Indigenous students share a common experience of colonization and racialization in society. And this common experience and the familiarity between residential schools and the hidden curriculum, which Kerubini argues promotes white mainstream traditions and values, is an eerie reminder of residential schools and in Indigenous experiences of assimilation. This puts Indigenous students at a high risk. A basic key in success in virtual learning is the ability to connect to a reliable internet source. 
as elementary class time remains the same and students are expected to be live streaming their classes and doing work on interactive documents with their peers. Knowledge of technology is also a handy prerequisite as students will need to use a variety of new technologies like tablets or Chromebooks or apps like Google Slides. Students with varied access to resources, even as simple as a reliable internet connection or access to a fluent English-speaking elder, have been exacerbated by virtual schooling and stay-at-home orders. This isolates marginalized students further. And as Chelsea mentioned, inequalities have been brought to the surface, so the need to ensure and create spaces of equality is ever so present. Returning to normalcy in the school setting could be a reality this September, and fingers crossed because I know we all thought the same thing this time last year. A post-pandemic, post-lockdown society is inevitably going to be different, and in an educational context, the transition back to in-person learning could discourage students, especially those of color. I've noticed that much like the COVID-19 response in all public settings, like public transit or the mall, School response is geared towards decontamination. I know from personal experience, via my own child going back to in-school learning earlier this year, that parents are reminded weekly to practice social distancing and to stay home as much as possible. Parents are told to check their child's temperature every morning and to be on the lookout for any potential COVID-19 symptoms. I also know students are encouraged to wash their hands and keep their masks on and physically distance themselves. And parents have heavily been influenced by the media in putting cleanliness first. And the idea of having a Lysoled classroom is ideal and essential in commercials. Student education or equity is not sold as essential. I mean, even now, parents can't buy school supplies. It's, quote, non-essential. And focusing on individual student transition back to in-person learning is essential to ensure spaces of equity are present for students who've struggled with virtual learning. Thank you, Vanessa, for your discussion. You know, your point reminded me of when the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, established a rule that only essential shopping such as food, drinks, healthcare, and outdoor shopping such as garden centers are allowed. However, he also mentioned that back-to-school shopping is considered non-essential. So how will children from low-income families be able to learn without adequate materials? I think my peers have brought up incredibly interesting points, such as managing children to attend school online without a warning. Children were to learn from home soon after lockdown March break. We must think about children who do not have access to technology simply because their parents could not afford one. They may not be able to afford to purchase from online shopping sites with added delivery fees. So there were numerous education banks established in Ontario where families could donate school supplies for children in need. The executive director of a charity organization known as the Parent Engaged in Education, Theresa Pastor, created an education bank that provided school materials and resources to children and youth in need. According to Theresa, the education bank had a dramatic increase from January of 2021 and helped more than 225 families in Ontario. I find that amazing 
and I hope these families find the donations helpful as well. Speaking of low-income families, schools in Ontario usually recognize students with special educational needs. However, they do not recognize those who have other personal challenges that could affect their learning, such as children from low-income families and are often at greater risk for child abuse and neglect. It is crucial for educators, teachers, and counselors to understand each person's individuality and how they can offer support for each student, especially during the pandemic, which can cause personal issues to worsen. Before we dive further, I would like to define IEPs and the BAM initiative. IEP stands for Individual Education Plan, which is given only to those with disabilities in elementary to high schools. According to Lori Hobbs' reading from the Harvard Graduate School of Education, BAM stands for By All Means. It is similar to an IEP, but it's for everyone else in schools. The BAM initiative is an effective interventional strategy that focuses on individual needs. Since I have a hearing disability, I had an IEP from elementary to high school. I recall a classmate in our high school who was struggling with her schoolwork. She doesn't have a disability, so she doesn't have an IEP. She urged her teacher to get her one. However, the teacher rejected her offer because the IEP is only given to students who have a diagnosed disability. She was not doing well in the class and her teacher wasn't able to offer adequate accommodations for her. Unfortunately, she ended up failing her courses and had to be placed into special education classes. I was attending my third year university when the COVID-19 pandemic hit Ottawa. I had to change my accommodation needs so that it is suitable for Zoom calls and online exams. However, since the lockdown occurred without any warning, it took time for the professor, my disability coordinator, and I to adjust accommodation needs. So for a brief period of time, I wasn't able to follow along with class materials as well as I used to before the pandemic. There are also times when students going through personal issues have a hard time speaking up at schools because they are afraid to be let down, be made fun of, or lacking opportunities to do so. The pandemic opened our eyes to observe children struggling at schools, especially those from lower class families. However, what about when the pandemic is over and the economy has recovered? It is crucial to have a consistent plan for schools to meet individual needs. Like the BAM initiative, an individual educational plan for each student will have an outstanding benefit for not only those with disabilities, but also those with other kinds of personal issues, especially during the pandemic. Students from lower class families are currently struggling even more with their schooling since the pandemic occurred due to a lack of access to technology, essential school materials, and possibly encountering abuse at home. It is necessary to provide intervention strategies for these children for a better learning experience during the pandemic. 
Shobana, that was awesome discussion that you provided us with. In your points, you raised the question, what about when the pandemic is over and the economy has recovered? It makes me think back to February 2020, which was just before COVID-19 lockdowns occurred in, the, in Ontario. And what was happening in the education system? The teacher strikes. There were many arguments during the strike, but a few of them addressed some of the conversations that we all discussed today. Those were that the Ontario government wanted to increase classroom sizes, have cuts to special education and full-day kindergarten support, and have mandatory e-learning of four credits for high school students. After everything we just discussed today, do you guys think that virtual learning during the pandemic was an eye-opener to the government and parents on what life would be like if these new rules were applied to the education system? Of course, I think this was a massive eye-opener. I think it highlighted just how unique students really are. We've spoken of students who both thrived in online learning and those who didn't. I think pre-pandemically, if a student was not doing well at school, online learning was a last resort, and so I'm glad to know online learning has opened up spaces of equity right now. As a parent, I know it also opened my eyes to my own child's struggle. I'm fortunate enough to work from home so I can see her reaction to her classes and different work assignments. I know what she has trouble in and what she thrives in. And that's something that's hard to decipher from a second grade report card. So it's enabled me to provide extra tutoring and I actually think she's more prepared now to transition to the next grade than she was previously. As a person who grew up with a disability, and views education as a significantly important factor in our childhood and youth lives, I do not agree with the budget cuts to special education because these systems have a positive impact on students with disabilities. They feel more inclusive and comfortable in special education settings than in mainstream classrooms. Full-day kindergarten allows teachers to teach students in greater depth and let teachers identify individual learning difficulties earlier. These factors improve learning capabilities and adaptability in kinders when attending upper grade levels. Therefore, implementing budget cuts can cause deprivation on teachers' ability to teach kindergarten students and negatively impact the kinders' learning process. Additionally, the increase in classroom sizes can make it harder for teachers to view each student's individual needs. Increasing it also makes it even harder for students with disabilities to reach out to their teachers and vice versa. Therefore, I also think that virtual learning was an eye-opener to the government to see who is struggling with the schooling and hopefully will make better cuts in the future starting from now. Like Vanessa mentioned, it created spaces of equity and individuality and how it is crucial to offer support that meets children's individual needs. These new rules will have a positive impact on children. Great responses, guys. I agree with both of you. From earlier conversations, it was stated how special education needs were not always being met with online learning. Now, if there are still going to be cuts to special education post-pandemic, will these issues continue? I also think that virtual learning has made teachers realize that there are lots of technological apps that can be incorporated to make fun lesson plans. However, 
When kids go back to school, it should be noted that not everyone has these resources. So if techie projects will still continue, then the school needs to provide the students with the resources, which also relates to my next point. I think that virtual learning has shown that it is beneficial for some, but not everyone. So instead of making it mandatory for high school students to take online learning, it should be an option that's just available. And there should also be designated in-school computer lab time for online learners to ensure that every student has the resources needed in order to succeed. All right, folks, thank you for listening to this episode on Across the Canal. Vanessa, Shobana, and I hope that you enjoyed our discussions. Thank you for tuning in, and we would like to leave off with this quote by Malcolm X. Education is the passport for the future, for tomorrow belongs to those who prepare for it today.